everyone has passions and interests. And apart from what you think they might do, they have other things worth giving and worth sharing. We get to love what we do in front of other people because when we're able to do that, people will catch on. Those creative ideas that you mentioned will catch on. This is Skilled by Design, a podcast for experienced designers and product managers that want to deliberately grow their skills and become better humans in the process. I'm your host, Tommy Bay, and today I'm talking with Greg Bear and Ryan Rydzeski. Greg is the executive director of the Grable Foundation, a nonprofit grant maker, uh, improving the lives of young people, and a leader at Remake Learning, which is an organization taking bold steps to improve the way children learn. Ryan is an award-winning author and speaker. He's a science and education reporter. And I am really excited to talk to these uh, two great guys. Thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here in the neighborhood. Thanks for having us. All right. So we swapped some messages back and forth uh, over the past couple of weeks and kind of landed on caring as a great focus for our conversation today. And that's perfect because of, of the book that you wrote together, which is When You Wonder, You're Learning. And maybe a good place to start is to tell us just a little bit of what the book is and why you wrote it. So what you need to know about me and Ryan is that we're both Western Pennsylvania kids. And that's important because Fred Rogers was born here in Western Pennsylvania and produced his beloved series, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, right here in Pittsburgh at WQED, America's first public television station. And we mentioned that because you could imagine that Fred Rogers is in the DNA of Western Pennsylvania. He's a local hero. You know, even though he was an, a, a celebrity across America and across Canada, he always felt like he was one of ours. And in fact, he definitely was one of ours and living in our, in our neighborhoods and people have all sorts of great experiences of, of being Fred's neighbor. And what most of us remember about Fred, those of us who are lucky to grow up with him watching the shows, we remember that loving, caring individual who was on the other side of our screen. But Ryan and I came to appreciate Fred differently, particularly in a, as adults and particularly as a professionals who are working in the field of education and learning. And the story goes simply like this, that as we're figuring out ways to better support educators in and out of school, early childhood through higher education, we had the opportunity to read all sorts of papers about the learning sciences, things from universities right here in our backyard, like Carnegie Mellon University or the University of Pittsburgh, but also MIT and Stanford. And one of the things that struck me and Ryan was that these brilliant scientists in all of these papers about quantitative and qualitative research about learning and what we're learning about learning itself started sounding a lot like Fred Rogers. In fact, their papers were reading a lot more as if they were scripts from the neighborhood. And Ryan and I said, you know what? There's another story to tell about Fred Rogers. Yes, Fred Rogers, that loving, caring individual who was an educator in so many ways, but also Fred Rogers, the scientist, the learning scientist who was incredibly deliberate and intentional about his work, who was so brilliant about that work that it, it's almost seamless, but we could unpack it, understand it, and understand how it's relevant to us here in 2022 and beyond in some incredibly profound ways. And that's what our book's about. That's cool. And that is definitely, Greg, something that struck me while I was 
reading your book was was the the level of effort and the amount of research that went into crafting the experience of every one of those shows, which is pretty pretty mind boggling. And for a lot of you know UX designers and people working with with products that may not be a TV show, but I mean, there if if you want to have an outstanding experience, you have to put in that that kind of work. Yeah, my, uh, my, my outsider perspective on good design is good design makes things look easy, right? Makes things look simple. Yeah. And you can look at any scene from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and everything you see in that frame from the wardrobe that Fred's wearing to the song that he's singing to the design of the set around him, all of that is grounded in some sort of principle from, from child development, what we now call the learning sciences. So imagine in every episode you have, you know, who knows how many frames, each thought through with that level of intention. Fred did that 900 times. And on top of those 900 episodes he wrote, he also wrote 12 operas and 250 some songs. And every single aspect of every single thing he put out there had that same level of work, that same level of intention in it. And he made it look so simple, right? The design was so attractive. It was something that kids and their families alike wanted to be a part of. I think that is one of the things that, you know, we, we admire Fred, like, like Greg noted, on an emotional level because Fred made us feel good, right? He, he has that sort of childhood nostalgic aspect. We all like to think of Fred. But when we got to know what exactly it took to create an episode of The Neighborhood, I think we started to admire him on a whole other level uh, as a writer, as an artist, as a philosopher, and in many ways as a designer. It seems like part of what helps that resonate is his authenticity also, that that was that was him. That was the way he believed and the way he lived his whole life, not just not just the show. And Joanne Rogers, so Mrs. Rogers, um, who wrote the foreword to our book. It's one of the great gifts of a lifetime for me and Ryan. In that forward, she wrote this simple statement that no one practiced being Fred Rogers more than Fred Rogers himself. It was a, it was a set of practice habits about how he went about his, his daily interactions and then also the intentional work of his program and all of the other things that he did. And at its core was an absolute goodness, an absolute authenticity and caring about Fred Rogers. He wasn't a saint. Let's not paint him as a saint. It was a practiced human habit on his part, but no one cared about the work more than Fred Rogers himself. And I think that that's important to, to note for any work that any of us do. Uh, I mean, you two are great examples of this, that you've, you've poured yourselves into uh, these causes that you care about. You want to see the world be a better place, especially for kids and the way that they learn, that they're taught. And, and so you're pouring yourself into those kinds of things. I think that that's really admirable. It's a great thing. I, I think one of the most amazing things about Fred's legacy, you know, the first question people ask us when we talk about the book to, to live audiences is often, was he really like that? You know, was, was Mr. Rogers really like that in real life? Even today, we're still astounded that the Fred we saw on TV was the same as the Fred, you know, we'd run into on the street, the Fred, same Fred that people knew in real life. Fred walked the walk. 
in many ways, in every way. You know, he didn't just talk about looking out for one's neighbor. He, he made that part of his life. And I think that's part of the reason that we still are in such awe of him. You know, that we have, we've heard so many amazing stories from people who ran into Fred in, in real life. And the way he made them feel in real life was the same, he weighed, same way he made them feel through television. And I think when we put the book out, you know, it would be hypocritical of us to try to not walk the walk too, right? If you, if you get to know Fred and, and the kind of work he put into both his personal life and his professional life in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you come to really admire that. And Fred set an example. Both of us, I think, want to live up to the example that he set. And so we try to walk the walk ourselves too. And Tommy, we so appreciate the kind words because when we think about the work that we're privileged to do here on behalf of the Grable Foundation, when we think about our contributions to this learning network that we call Remake Learning or to the activities of Remake Learning Days happening all across America, so much of this work is about the design, about the remaking of learning experiences in and out of school, in museums and libraries. And we've been informed mightily by designers steeped in human-centered design as we think about those learning experiences and how we connect them all across the learning landscapes where young people are together with the caring adults of their lives, the educators, but also their parents, families, and caregivers. And so in so many ways, the work that we're privileged to do and that Fred Rogers left for us is about a redesign. It's a great big design challenge about the experiences of great learning that we want young people and the adults in their lives to experience. It's not far off from something that any of us can adopt for anything that we're doing, you know, applying that level of care. I love in your book, how you've broken things uh, down. I mean, I'm interested in, in the skills, right? And, and that's, what's cool is that Fred Rogers demonstrated that he, he developed these skills and practiced them all the time. And I like that you kind of uh, broke the book out into essentially areas of, of skills that we can develop. So for those who haven't seen your book, uh, your, your chapters break down like this. You've got curiosity, then creativity, communication, working together, learning and growing, and then connection. All excellent topics for, for designers. I wish we had time to like really drill into like, I, mostly I just want you to talk about like everything from your book, but uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, look, uh, we'll look at some specifics. So on, on the topic of, of curiosity and creativity, for UX designers, a lot of our job is to stay curious. Like if we ever, if we ever let that go, then we can't do our job. And it feels like there's a serious connection between curiosity and creativity. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, obviously designers know like, well, I gotta be, I gotta be creative. I gotta bring creative ideas. I gotta do creative things, explore, blah, blah, blah. Why is curiosity so important to that? You know, it's, it's interesting. We talked to um, an educator in the book named Melissa Butler, and she talks about curiosity. She calls it the state of not knowing. And she talks about the need to keep yourself in a perpetual state of not knowing, right? A state of wonder, which is so, you know, it's, it, it's not a state that we as adults, as professionals find ourselves in very often. I used to be a teacher and I can tell you from experience that when you walk into a classroom full of kids, you don't want to be curious so much. It's 
you want to be in control because the unknowns are scary. And it's like that in a lot of jobs. We want to be experts. We want to walk into the room being the people who know everything. But Fred, I think, showed us a different path. You know, he brought in all these guest stars, some of the top people in their fields, people like Yo-Yo Ma and Wynton Marsalis, um, Julia Child. And rather than, you know, just seeing how great they were at whatever it is they happened to do, he always asked them to talk about how they got so good at it, right? How, how did you learn to do that? They always talked about their struggles. They always talked about their failures. They talked about how they grappled with self-doubt. We saw them as humans struggling to learn something, keeping themselves again in that state of not knowing. And Fred really celebrated that. And I think when you talk about skill development, Fred celebrated the development, the process of developing a skill more than he celebrated the skill itself. So that was one of the things he always emphasized the process, the struggle. He really celebrated that. He, he showed us that there is value in that. And I think if we want to keep progressing as designers or as teachers or as writers or whatever it is that we have to happen to do, we, we have to find sort of joy in that struggle too, because it's really easy to get comfortable. It's really easy to like, hey, we know X, Y, Z thing. It's gotten us this far in our career. And we're, it's easy to just coast on that for a while. Fred made the challenge of continuing to learn, of becoming a lifelong learner, seem a little less daunting and a little more joyful. And I think that's his real value in terms of uh, becoming a lifelong adult learner. And Tommy, if I can add to Ryan's great comments, because you noted that as the designers, as the creative ones, you're the ones look to, well, bring, me up, bring us the creative ideas. Well, one of the things that Fred reminded us too is that everyone, everyone has something worth giving. And I suspect that you and other designers, it's not only the creative ideas, but it's finding the creativity in each of the people in the team or the project or whatever it is that's involved. And so when we think about some of the people that we got a chance to meet on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, we think two of those everyday characters. So think of Officer Clemens. Officer Clemens, also the neighborhood opera singer, right? Handyman Negri, also the neighborhood guitarist. One of the things that Fred pointed out is that everyone has passions and interests. And apart from what you think they might do, they have other things worth giving and worth sharing. And I think the challenge of creative or creative types or designers, et cetera, is to, is to unleash those passions, those interests and curiosities in ways that contribute to whatever project, whatever challenge folks are working to solve and to master. And Fred reminded us about that important aspect of our work. I'm glad you brought that up, Greg, because that was something that I was going to ask about, which is how, how do we champion that, uh, that creativity? Because a, a lot of designers, you know, whether it's, it's experienced designers or, or any kind of designer, they, they typically end up sitting at the, the crossroads where, where they do have to recognize good ideas and champion good ideas, find creativity and bring it out and then, and then do something with it. So yeah, how do, how do we become better instigators? Like you said, like, how do, how do we draw that out of people? What, what did we see from Mr. Rogers? So I can tell you one very specific story jumps to mind. And Fred used to talk about this himself when he talked about this very challenge that you're describing. So Fred, when he was studying theology, actually he enrolled at what was then the, what became the Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. He decided he wanted to use television to minister to children. And his professors at the 
uh, seminary said, well, if you want to do that, then you better go study child development. And that's how we ended up at this place in Pittsburgh called the Arsenal Family and Children's Center. And it was at Arsenal that Fred worked with some of the top psychiatrists and pediatricians uh, on the planet, all of whom happened to be working in Pittsburgh at the same time. So this, these were folks like Benjamin Spock and, and Eric Erickson. Uh, but there was one person in particular named Margaret McFarland. And Margaret was Fred's lifelong mentor. She was also his dear friend. She advised Fred on the neighborhood all the way up until her death in the 1980s. And Fred always told this one particular story about what Margaret did at Arsenal one day. So she invited a famous sculptor to come in and work with children who were at the center. I think these were like four and five-year-old children. And, you know, how does a world-class sculptor describe his work to a four-year-old? Right? How do you discuss complex issues of craft and, and art and all the other things that go into high-level sculpting? And Margaret said, actually, don't worry about any of that. I don't want you to talk about any of that. All I want you to do is go in there and love your clay in front of the kids. And that's what he did. And Fred used to talk about how the people who worked at Arsenal, people who had worked at Arsenal for years, said that neither before nor since had kids worked with clay so imaginatively. And the kids had really caught this sense of creativity from this guy. And so Fred used to say that the best teacher in the world is someone who loves what he or she does and just loves it in front of you. And I think, you know, as professionals, we don't always get to, we get to put ourselves in a position where we get to witness somebody who loves what he or she does. Do we get to love what we do in front of other people? Because when we're able to do that, people will catch on. Those creative ideas that you mentioned will catch on. That's a great story. I've thought of it several times, actually, as I've been uh, playing with my kids and stuff. It's just to like, make sure that they see me loving the things that I love. Greg has a great skateboard story. I do have a great skateboard. (laughs) If we have time. (laughs) I think there's another piece to unpack from what it is that you just said, Ryan, but quickly, I'll tell my my skateboarding story. So I used to be a skateboarding enthusiast when I was a kid. And in the early days of the pandemic, I was out in my garage. It's just, you know, full of boxes and crap, right? It's just like one of those classically messy garages. And I found my old Madrid skateboard. I hadn't been on my skateboard in easily 30, maybe even 35 years. And I don't know what prompted me in that moment, but I pulled out the skateboard and I just started skating down my driveway. And then there's a slight hill in front of my house. And so I started going down the street and I didn't have on a helmet. I didn't have on elbow pads. And you could imagine, I just started laughing because all of that joy came back to me. Plus I was scared as can be (laughs) and also having fun again at the same time. I was on my skateboard. What I didn't notice is that my two daughters were running behind me along with their other friends because they were all out in the neighborhood and they all got to the bottom of the cul-de-sac and they're like, what is that? Like they'd never really seen a skateboard before, I don't think. And do you know that today, Tommy, there are eight young women in my neighborhood who skateboard? <laughs> and, you know, I won't pretend to draw social science evidence that like A caused B, but we do know it happened, right? Like at that moment, to Ryan's quotation of Fred Rogers, I was that teacher who was loving what he was doing right in front of those kids. And it provoked their curiosity. And they said, you know, I, I sort of want to try that. And they did and they liked it. And so now I get to skateboard with them down the street. Um, I don't have my old tricks and skills back, but I, uh, I can get down the hill in one piece, which is nice. (laughs) (laughs) 
But can I go, I want to go back because um, I think that story about the clay is so incredible too, because imagine if that sculptor had started with a statue or some piece, right? And it, and it would have interested some of the kids, but certainly not all of them because it didn't, it didn't connect to all of the kids in that space immediately. When I think about the challenges that a designer faces, as you were describing, sitting in the, in the center of all of those crossroads of people to saying like, how do we make this thing better, more useful, help make people's lives easier? You know, it's the sort of the same challenge that a teacher faces, like how on earth am I gonna teach these kids how machines work, right? And one of the brilliant things that Fred did is he always started with familiar things. And, and he did that because he wanted to connect to everyone first and then take us to that place of mystery where we might have all sorts of questions and discover new passions and interests that we didn't know that we had. And the perfect example of that is the crayon factory. You know, so many of us remember that episode of going to the crayon factory, but to watch that episode as an adult is a reminder that Fred didn't take us immediately to the factory and start showing us how these crayons work. He started by showing us a crayon and drawing and playing with that crayon. And every kid watching that show could connect with that crayon. And then we went to the place of mystery to the factory and how these things are made. And so much, I think the work of a teacher and a designer and others, probably all professionals and creatives of any type is taking people to new places. And so starting with something familiar before going to that place of mystery and novelty is so critically important. And Fred did that brilliantly and seamlessly. That's awesome. It looks like we're about out of time. So let me ask you this as we conclude. And I'll ask you, Greg, and, and then Ryan. For those of us, hopefully all of us, who want to improve our caring skills, what, what's your suggestion for something that we could do today to start improving uh, those skills? First and foremost is noticing. I think we just have to continuously ask ourselves what's going on around us and noticing the things that people are doing that are creating that atmosphere that we want or don't want to be working in. You know, whether that's in a classroom or in a design studio or in an office space, we genuinely have to notice and understand the ways that we can contribute to an environment where people feel like they belong, where they feel like they're loved and capable of loving, as Fred would say, and generally creating that atmosphere for learning. And then we, we as human beings have to actually believe that we can do what we do and do it better. In the field of education, we talk often about growth mindset, right? And this idea that we can improve what we're doing, whether it's improving a practice, improving our demeanor, our caring. And oftentimes when, when it's talked about in the education space, it's talked about, about the kids themselves, that the that kids have to hold this sensibility. But the really important thing about growth mindset is that it really doesn't matter unless the adults around the kids actually, actually believe that too, that that is pivotally important. And I think that applies to us in our workspaces, in our homes, in our communities. That's a principle not just for our classrooms. It's a principle for us as humans about whether we genuinely hold that belief about others 
and particularly those who we perceive as different from ourselves. That's fantastic. Uh, I like that you mentioned the growth mindset that comes up in the book several times. And it made me think I, I hear frequently or I've talked to designers who are struggling with that self-doubt that they feel like they're faking that imposter syndrome thing. And it, it made me wonder if cultivating a growth mindset can combat that problem, like those feelings of inadequacy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Period. <laughs> fantastic. So Ryan, give, give us your thoughts. What are your recommendations? It's really interesting that you asked that question. It's a great question. And it's interesting that we're talking about caring as a skill, because you think about the other chapters in our book, or really just the other skills out there in the world, curiosity, creativity, communicating, those are sort of like concrete things you can learn how to do, right? We can learn how to ask a question. We can learn how to create a new product. We can learn how to listen better and speak more clearly. We can do all those things with caring too, but we kind of just assume caring is like a natural thing. Like I can go learn how to ask questions and be creative, but like caring, that's just something I'll do, right? I don't have to think about it too intentionally. We don't often think about caring or relationship building as being a skill, but you're right. It very much is. And Fred understood that. So Fred, <laughs> I'm, and don't take this as advice, although it's great advice if you want to follow it, but I, it's not realistic <laughs> for most people. Fred used to get up at 5 a.m. every single day to give himself a few free hours. And what he would do in those few free hours is think about, okay, who am I gonna interact with today? Um, how am I going to treat them? How do I wanna make them feel? And how am I going to do that? He would pray for people, he would think about people, and then Fred would go for a swim, which of course was an act of caring for his own body. He would have breakfast, which was vegetarian, which of course is an act of caring for the earth. And then the first thing he would do when he get to his office is answer letters, sometimes upwards of 50 to 100 letters a day, which was an act of caring, of course, for his audience. Fred had, you know, we've, we've described it before as a regimen, like an, like an athlete would have a regimen. Fred had a, a practice of caring. He was always working on it, it was something he was always developing himself. Now, does that mean in order to become a caring person, we need to go out and get up at 5 a.m. every morning? Probably not. But it does mean that we need to probably think more intentionally about how we build relationships and what it means to connect with other people. And I'll just give you one really powerful example of, of how I've seen this in action. Um, I used to be a teacher. And then after a few years of teaching, I became a teacher coach, trying to help other teachers build their sort of ped pedagogical skill set. And I coached teachers across all different schools, across all different grade levels. So uh, from early learning classrooms all the way up to high school chemistry. And I saw a lot of different schools. And there was one school in particular that was different. And I could never put my finger on why I was different. It was the kind of place where you just walked through the doors and you felt good. Even though it looked the same as every other school I went to and the student population, the demographics were statistically the same, right? You know, same sort of low income, same sort of resources. Uh, teachers all, all got the same things. And finally, I just asked the principal one day, you know what? I'm banging my head against the wall trying to figure out why I love coming here so much because it is so similar to every place else. And she said something I never forget. And I've been sharing this story like crazy, telling people exactly what I'm telling you now about the importance of thinking intentionally. This principal said, every school year, 
for the first two weeks, we don't teach any content. We just don't do schoolwork. Instead, we focus simply on building relationships. Now, they didn't just hang out and talk. They had specific things that they did in order to help teachers get to know their students. But this principal took flack every single year from her school board and from her peers because really her job, as, as they saw it, was to just jump into content. Like, how dare you take two weeks at the beginning of this very important school year? We have a test coming up in a few months. Like, we can't waste that time. And yet every single year, this one school that took that time to intentionally connect, to intentionally care about people, outperformed all the other schools that were giving her flack, outperformed everybody else that was telling her not to do that. And so she had done this year in and year out. I think it's just this amazing example of, of yes, caring is a skill. It's one that needs to be cultivated with intention and care and practice. And Fred showed us that not only in his personal life, but also, you know, day in and day out in the neighborhood. And I think that's the ultimate lesson of Fred when it comes to caring. Fred Rogers. <laughs> what a guy. Thank you. Thank you for those words, both of you. I, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time. Thank you for having us. It's been such a pleasure, Tommy. Great questions. Truly, thank you. All right. Well, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again sometime. Anytime you're in our neighborhood or we in yours. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be a lot closer now. That's true. That is true. And thanks to you listening out there for joining us. Remember to share this episode with someone that you care about and would like to learn more about caring. And if you have a minute, you can rate the podcast as well. It helps others to find us. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Skilled by Design. Bye.